We now turn to the Scriptures, and I invite you to turn to the psalm we looked at briefly earlier, Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Father, take your word and implant it in our hearts through the message that our pastor is to bring us now. Bless him, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Rob. I love, I love the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is, is God's book of wisdom for everyday life. It describes um, how God's world usually works. And I say usually because Proverbs aren't promises. Um, and we see across the whole of the wisdom literature, Proverbs is how uh, the world usually works. Job, for example, is the way the world sometimes works when God allows it to. So we have to take the wisdom literature as a whole. And the world usually works this way, this Proverbs kind of way, because he created it. Though, of course, its original perfect design is marred by sin. It also works this way because it works according to God's providence. By that we mean God's hands-on but unseen control of, of everything that happens. So this is the world God made. This is the world that God uh, is actively um, controlling. 
And in this world, Proverbs draws a contrast between the wise person um, and, and the fool. And foolishness is not a lack of intellect. It is not a lack of uh, brain power. It is a lack of wisdom through a lack of application and a lack of reflection. You can only get um, wisdom the hard way. So uh, Jonah and I and Sam are, are working through a book on, on Proverbs with Tim Keller, and he says the Proverbs are like hard candy, he says, which I presume is American. Is that American for a boiled sweet? Is that our kind of... Um, it's, a, um, it, it's kind of like the, the kind of stuff you can only suck. It takes time. Um, to, to reflect and think about you, you only get wisdom uh, over time and, and persistence. It's not a kind of like a, a chewy thing uh, that John might give you when you came in this morning and you can just eat it and get this quick hit. Okay, it's something you have to, uh, to work on. And so last time we looked at, at, at pride um, and this time we're going to look at uh, anger. Something I planned over a week ago but we're going to look at the patient person. Uh, Proverbs contrasts uh, the wise person is is patient and the fool uh, is angry in a certain kind of way. Uh, But I thought we'd start with the character of God, and that's why we went back to the Psalms. That's another of, of the wisdom books in the Bible. And the Psalms repeatedly say this. It's a worthwhile little study you can look uh, for yourself. You can go and um, using, you know, an online uh, Bible site, you can see how many times the word anger comes up in the Bible. And it'd be interesting to, to read that through the Psalms. But the Psalms say repeatedly something like this. Sing the praises of the Lord. You, his faithful people, praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I think that's for God's covenant people. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Or Psalm 86, you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. What does it mean that God is slow to anger? Or Psalm 103, the same again. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, uh, abounding in love. Or Psalm 145, which Rob read to us, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. So God is absolutely holy in his character. The psalmist said so. It was there in Psalm 145. It's there in Psalm 30. God is absolutely holy. He's absolutely right in his judgments. So he will get angry. He will get angry at at sin. There are obviously times when he is righteously angry, because anger is the right response to a situation. But we are told that he is slow uh, to get angry. He never overreacts. He never underreacts. He never flies off the handle. What does it mean that God is slow slow to anger? I think it it means his anger at least is always considered. Even though if you're God, it doesn't actually take you any time at all to come to the right consideration of anger, God's anger. Do you see what I mean? If if our actions are considered, it just takes us time, doesn't it? Um, God's anger are considered, even if it doesn't take him any time uh, to consider it. 
It's never rash. His anger's never hurried. And it always is tied together with the other aspects of his nature, that he is a compassionate and loving God. So he is not looking for excuses to get angry. And for those who choose to know him in covenant relationship with him, his anger comes always in the context of his grace and his faithfulness. But I want us to focus down on, on Proverbs and some of the proverbial wisdom uh, about anger. And see if we can't kind of take some away, some nuggets which are going to apply to everyday life. First thing I want to say is about tone. Tone of voice. A gentle, anger, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up Anger, the tone with which you speak in conversations, especially if they're likely to get angry, is fundamental. You can either make things worse or you can make things better by the tone with which you use. You can diffuse anger by speaking gently. That goes for email and text. You know my, it's a bugbear of mine. Because you cannot soften your tone on an email or a text by your posture or by your volume or by your facial expression. It is much more likely in a written communication that you're going to be understood. So if you feel the need, do it in person. Speed. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. There's something about speed of response. The fool goes for the immediate response. The fool feels the need to do something urgently about this. The fool gets a rush of blood. We'll see the contrast with the the wise later on. Stirring. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Hot-tempered person stirs things up. They don't need to be stirred up. They like to create a conflict where um, it, it wasn't necessary. A patient person calms a quarrel. It takes time and it takes energy to slow things down. It takes no energy at all to, to jump straight in with both feet. Commotion. Mockers stir up a city, but the wise turn away anger. Angry people like a commotion. They like commotion. They're happy to draw in as many people uh, as possible. They copy people into their emails, shall we say. But wisdom turns away from that path. And they turn away with, with the gentle answer. Repeated behavior. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty, rescue them, and you'll have to do it again. Hot-tempered people are, are so often repeat offenders. Do the same thing again and again. And Proverbs says there comes a point where you just have to let them pay the price. Otherwise, you're constantly covering for them. Friendships. Uh, goes for all of us, goes for young people especially. Um, don't make friends with a hot-tempered person. Don't associate with one easily angered or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Uh, bad, 
uh, bad company corrupts good character. It's just, it's just a fact. Hot-temperedness, like a lot of bad behavior, is catching. And then you get backed into a corner, then you get ensnared. Hot temper means you say something you didn't, you didn't want to say or is unwise, and, and you get trapped in things that you've said. Finally, weight. Stone is heavy and sand a burden. You know what it's like to carry uh, a bag of sand. Um, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Anger is cruel. Fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? So anger and fury uh, and, and jealousy, uh, having to bear them, having to deal with them, is like carrying bags of sand. It just takes energy and it takes time and resolve. These things in the church, they slow the church down because somebody has to pick up the pieces. And it's a weight. It's a burden. So the opposite, the interesting contrast in in Proverbs is this contrast between patience and and quick-temperedness. And again, so let's come back to this thing about speed. Um, Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. It's a foolish thing to do. I'm looking at young people as well as old people. Um, It's a foolish thing to do to give an immediate reaction to something that's annoyed you. Take time to calm down. Count to ten. If it's worthy of an email, write it. Um, and then leave it 24 hours before you send it. With the kind of immediate media, Snapchat, Instagram, it's in the name, isn't it? That it's, that it's instant. But just think about it. Does it really need to be said? Does it need to be said now? Does it need to be said in that tone? The wise person, the prudent person, chooses to overlook an insult. Just let it go. Understanding. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Patience is a marker of wisdom. Patience in a person is a marker of wisdom. When you're looking um, uh, for leaders or you're looking uh, for people to appoint in in, in a church, patience is a marker of wisdom and a quick temper is a marker of, of folly. Heroism. I love this one. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes uh, a city. I think men in particular, like we like to see ourselves as heroes. You know, we'd, we'd just love to be heroic. <coughs> Maybe a warrior, you know, a frustrated warrior. <coughs> Sorry, I'm going to have to have a drink. But again, who are you going to use? Who are you going to appoint? Better a patient person than a fighter. The go-getter who you're tempted to appoint to something may not be the person you really need. Because better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control than one who takes a city. A self-controlled person is the real superhero. 
not the one who takes the city single-handed. There's some more. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and one who has understanding is even-tempered. Now, it's just saying the same thing, but in different words. It's about words and how you use them. And the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And James says, doesn't he? You know this. This is, um, we've said this before. Uh, we all stumble in many ways, but anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body uh, in check. If, if you cannot sin in, in what you say, then you've pro- it's, it's a sign you've probably got everything um, under control. Or Proverbs 10, 19, sin is not ended by multiplying words. Sin is not, I love that. Sin is not ended by multiplying words. You, you don't help somebody, you don't deal with it just by multiplying words upon words. But the prudent hold their tongues. Glory, let's keep moving. Whoops. A person's wisdom yields patience, we've said that before, is to one's glory to, look, uh, to overlook an offence. So often when somebody offends us, we feel powerless, we feel put down. Feels weak to overlook an offence, but it's not weak, it's glorious. It's to your glory. It doesn't look glorious to, to who's done it to you, but God sees it. And it is a glorious thing to overlook an offence. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. What's a city supposed to do? It's supposed to um, defend people. It's supposed to be a protection. But those who don't have self-control, anything it's like a city with broken walls. Anything and everything gets in through the walls and, and creates an immediate response. And such a person then doesn't offer any security to those around them because they feel constantly under threat. And venting, finally, in this bit, anyway. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Fools are those people that are just not satisfied un- until, they've, uh, until they've said everything they want to say and until they're absolutely convinced that um, you've heard um, everything that they wanted to say. They're not happy until they've given full vent. It's all been spewed out and they've laid it all out on the table. And then paradoxically, I think, quite often, they feel calm and satisfied, at least until next time. But in the meantime, they've done untold damage. Whereas the wise bring calm in the end. The wise person is the person who's going to quietly plug away at relationships, going to quietly plug away and bring calm. So I find it a fascinating picture of anger versus patience. And we need to remember, if we've forgotten, that we're all escapees from, from wrath. We previously stood before God's wrath. Paul says this, you were once dead in your transgressions of sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
We were all originally, we were all born under God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. So we previously stood before God's wrath. God's wrath we, uh, God has poured out his wrath on Christ instead. You know this, don't you? And therefore we're not appointed to suffer wrath, we're appointed to receive um, salvation uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we have to remember, don't we, before we get too angry, that we are escapers um, from wrath. And so we have to get rid of anger in the church. I'm just going to go through this really briefly because I want you really just to hold on to the Proverbs thinking. So get rid of anger in the church. Get rid of it in church relationships. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it in the church. Get rid of it um, before you come to worship. Paul says, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Chaps, come to church without anger. Get rid of anger because in, in trying to grow in wholeness because it doesn't do any good. James, my brothers and sisters, take note. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger doesn't drive godliness. So there's no place for it in the church. Get rid of it in the church. We've got the, uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit to, to give us power. Let me read you a little bit. Live by the Spirit, Paul says, and then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Because the flesh, that's this bit of you, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit of God working in you, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So you're not to do whatever you want. In other words, you can't trust that. You can't trust the desires of your heart. You've got to be listening to the Holy Spirit and not to the flesh. But if you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit... What the Spirit is trying to grow in you is you stay attached by the Spirit to Christ divine, his love. There's no anger in love. Joy, peace, forbearance, a patient bearing, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. Against the things, there's, there's no law. And since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. What we're trying to do is not listen to what we want. We're trying to listen to what the Spirit wants. And so part of that listening is to, is to keep coming to the Scriptures day by day and reading, just allowing the Spirit to speak to you. And then you have to keep in step. You have to do what he said. So we've escaped from wrath. It's got to be got rid of in the church. We have the power to do it in the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to be angry, uh, very briefly... Be angry like Jesus was angry. And I'm not going to go into this. I'm going to ask you to take this and do it, do it for yourself. Okay. How often was Jesus angry? What do you reckon? Jesus is an angry person? 
Read, read the Gospels. He's quite angry. <laughs> he's angry. On, he's, he's, angry uh, uh, he's angry more often than, than I expected when I went back to the Gospels. Read one of the, He was angry. Go and see what Jesus was angry about. What do you think he was angry about? Yeah, people's behavior against God. He was angry about, I think, about hypocrisy almost more than anything else. Hypocrisy is when you say one thing and you do another. So the, the Pharisees in particular, um, the money changed in the temple, but if you think about the risen Jesus and the lukewarm church, Jesus' anger mainly reserved for, for hypocrisy. How did Jesus get angry? Very, very briefly. He always got angry with the right motivation. Didn't arise from, from personal offence. There's no selfishness involved. Um, his anger was always rightly motivated. He always had a proper focus. He wasn't angry with God. He wasn't angry at weaknesses in others. He was angry about injustice. He was angry about hypocrisy. He always had the proper accompaniment. As we said earlier, that God is slow to anger and bounding in love. Uh, he was never purely angry. His angry was always uh, with compassion on those around him, came with proper control. It was never anger out of control. He wasn't controlled by his emotions. He was angry with proper duration. You don't see in Jesus anger turning into bitterness, anger turning into holder grudges. He dealt with the anger. He dealt with it in the proper time, with the proper result. Same as always, godliness, people knowing the Lord, people growing in the Lord, people being uh, held up for their hypocrisy. So, our God is slow to anger and abounding in love. You and I this morning, we're the recipients of his electing saving, redeeming love. So be like the Father. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Be like the Son who absorbs the wrath of God that stood against you. You can be an anger absorber because you have the resources of Christ, rather than an, an anger multiplier, or an anger propagator, or an anger initiator. Keep in step with the Spirit. Practice patience. Let's pray more. Father God, we thank you for your character that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. If that were not the case, um, we'd be much more worried coming before you this morning. We thank you. We have come before you. We have come into your presence. And if indeed your anger against our sin was not already uh, turned onto Christ on the cross, then we would have just stood here before your wrath But we thank you that's not the case. Thank you for Christ on the cross. Thank you that all our inappropriate anger is forgiven 
And now we want to ask you, we ask you, Lord, to help us get rid of it. In the church, we ask you to help us be more like Christ in his anger. Always focused, controlled, short to the point. And we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us keep in step with the Spirit, particularly growing in forbearance, growing in self-control. We ask it in Jesus' name.